Chapter Sixteen of Hopalong Cassidy's Rustler Roundup. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee Smalley. Hopalong Cassidy's Roundup by Clarence Edward Mulford. Chapter Sixteen. Rustlers on the Range. The affair at Cactus Springs had more effect on the life at the Bar 20 than was realized by the foreman. News travels rapidly, and certain men, whose attributes were not of the sweetest, heard of it and swore vengeance, for Slim Travens had many friends, and the result of his passing began to show itself. Outlaws have, as their strongest defense, the fear which they inspire and little time was lost in making reprisals, and these caused Buck Peters to ride into Buckskin one bright October morning, and then out the other side of the town. Coming to himself with a start, he looked around shamefacedly, and retraced his course. He was very much troubled, for as foreman of the Bar 20 he had many responsibilities, and when things ceased to go aright, he was expected not only to find the cause of the evil, but also the remedy. That was what he was paid seventy dollars a month for, and that was what he had been endeavouring to do. As yet, however, he had only accomplished what the meanest cook's assistant had done. He knew the cause of his present woes to be rustlers, cattle thieves, and that was all. Riding down the wide, quiet street, he stopped and dismounted before the ever-open door of a ramshackle one-story frame building. Tossing the reins over the flattened ears of his vicious pinto, he strode into the building, and leaned easily against the bar, where he drummed with his fingers, and sank into a reverie. A shining bald pate bowed over an open box, turned around, and revealed a florid face, set with two small, twinkling blue eyes, as the proprietor, wiping his hands on his trousers, made his way to Buck's end of the bar. "'Mornin', Buck. How's things?' The foreman, lost in his reverie, continued to stare out the door. "'Mornin,' repeated the man behind the bar. "'How's things?' "'Oh!' ejaculated the foreman, smiling. "'Purty cussed.' "'Anything flew?' "'The C-80 lost another herd last night.' His companion swore and placed a bottle at the foreman's elbow, but the latter shook his head. Not this morning. I'll try one of them vile cigars, however. Them cigars are the very best that, began the proprietor, executing the order. Oh, heck, exclaimed Buck, with weary disgust. You don't have to palaver none. I sure knows all that by heart. Them cigars? repeated the proprietor. Yes, yes, them cigars. I know all about them cigars. You gets them for twenty dollars a thousand, and hypnotizes us into paying you a hundred, replied the foreman, biting off the end of his weed. Then he stared moodily and frowned. I wonder why it is, he asked. We punchers like good stuff, and we pays good prices with good money. What do we get? Why, cabbage leaves and leather for our smokin', and alcohol and extract for our drink. Now, up in Kansas City, we goes to a sumptuous layout, pays less, and gets bang-up stuff. 
If you smelled one of them KC cigars, you'd sure have to ask what it was. And as for the liquor, why, you'd think St. Peter asked you to have one with him. It's sure wrong somewhere. They have more trade in KC, suggested the proprietor. And help, and taxes, and a license, and rent, and brass, cut glass, mahogany, and French mirrors, countered the foreman. They have more trade, reiterated the man with the cigars. Forty men spend thirty dollars apiece with you every month. The proprietor busied himself under the bar. You'll feel better tomorrow. Anyway, what do you care? You won't lose your job, he said, emerging. Buck looked at him and frowned, holding back the words which formed in anger. What was the use, he thought, when every man judged the world in his own way? Have you seen any of the boys? he asked, smiling again. Nary a boy. Who do you reckon's doing all this rustling? I'm reckoning, not shoutin', responded the foreman. The proprietor looked out the window and grinned. Here comes one o' yourn now. The newcomer stopped his horse in a cloud of dust, playfully kicked the animal in the ribs, then entered, dusting the alkali from him with a huge sombrero. Then he straightened up and sniffed. What's burnin'? he asked, simulating alarm. Then he noticed the cigar between the teeth of his foreman and grinned. Gee, but you're a brave man, Buck. Hello, hop along, said the foreman. Want a smoke? waving his hand toward the box on the bar. Mr. Hopalong Cassidy sidestepped and began to roll a cigarette. Sure, but I'll burn my own. I know what it is. What was you doing to my cayuse afore you come in? asked Buck. Nothing, replied the newcomer. That was mine what I kicked in the corrugations. How is it you're riding the calico? asked the foreman. I thought you was stuck on that piebald. The piebald's a goat. He's been living off my pants lately, responded Hopalong. Every time I looks the other way, he ambles over and takes a bite at me. You just wait till this rustler business is roped and branded, and you'll see me eticate that blessed scrap heap into eatin' grass again. He swiped Billy's shirt the other day, took it right off the corral wall, where Billy's left it to dry. Then, seeing Buck raise his eyebrows, he explained, Sure, he washed it again. That makes three times since last fall. The proprietor laughed and pushed out the ever-ready bottle, but Hopalong shoved it aside and told the reason. Ever since I was up to K.C., I've been spoiled. I'm drinking water and slush. For Pete's sake, has any more of you fellas been up to K.C.? queried the proprietor in alarm. Sure, Red and Billy was up there too, responded Hopalong. Red's got a few remarks to shout to you about your painkiller. You better send for some decent stuff before he comes to town, he warned. Buck swung away from the bar and looked at his dead cigar. Then he turned to Hopalong. What did you find? he asked. Same old story. Nice wide trail up to the staked plain. Then nothing. It sure beats me, soliloquized the foreman. It sure beats me. Think it was Tamale Jose's old gang? asked Hopalong. If it was, they took the wrong trail home. That ain't the way to Mexico. 
Hopalong tossed aside his half-smoked cigarette. Well, come on home. What's the use stewing over it? It'll come out all okay in the wash. Then he laughed. There won't be no piebald waiting for it. Evading Buck's playful blow, he led the way to the door, and soon they were a cloud of dust on the plain. The proprietor, despairing of customers under the circumstances, absent-mindedly wiped oil on the bar and sought his chair for a nap grumbling about the way his trade had fallen off, for there were few customers, and those who did call were heavy with loss of sleep, and with anxiety, and only paused long enough to toss off their drink. On the ranges there were occurrences which tried men's souls. For several weeks cattle had been disappearing from the ranges, and the losses had long since passed the magnitude of those suffered when Tamale Jose and his men had crossed the Rio Grande, and repeatedly levied heavy toll on the sleek herds of the Pecos Valley. Tamale Jose had raided once too often, and prosperity and plenty had followed on the ranches, and the losses had been forgotten until the fall round-ups clearly showed that rustlers were again at work. Despite the ingenuity of the ranch owners, and the unceasing vigilance and night rides of the cowpunchers, the losses steadily increased, until there was promised a shortage which would permit no drive to the western terminals of the railroad that year. For two weeks the banks of the Rio Grande had been patrolled, and sharp-eyed men searched daily for trails leading southward, for it was not strange to think that the old raiders were again at work notwithstanding the fact that they had paid dearly for their former depredations. The patrols failed to discover anything out of the ordinary, and the searchers found no trails. Then it was that the owners and foremen of the four central ranches met in Cowan's saloon, and sat closeted together for all of one hot afternoon. The conference resulted in riders being dispatched from all the ranches represented, and one of the couriers, Mr. Red Connors, rode north, his destination being far away Montana. All the ranches within a radius of a hundred miles received letters and blanks, and one week later the Pecos Valley Cattle Thief Elimination Association was organized and working, with Buck as chief ranger. One of the outcomes of Buck's appointment was a sudden and marked immigration into the affected territory. Mr. Connors returned from Montana with Mr. Frenchie McAllister, the foreman of the Tin Cup, who was accompanied by six of his best and most trusted men. Mr. McAllister and party were followed by Mr. Ubet Soames, foreman of the 2X2 of Arizona, and five of his punchers, and later on the same day, Mr. Pye Willis, accompanied by Mr. Billy Jordan and his two brothers, arrived from the panhandle. The O-Bar-O, situated close to the town of Muddy Wells, increased its payroll by the addition of nine men, each of whom bore the written recommendation of the foreman of the Bar 20. The C-80, Double Arrow, and the Three Triangle also received heavy reinforcements, and even Carter, owner of the Barred Horseshoe, far removed from the zone of the depredations, increased his outfits by half their regular strength. Buck believed that if a thing was worth doing at all, that it was worth doing very well, 
and his acquaintances were numerous and loyal. The collection of individuals that responded to the call were noteworthy examples of gunplay, and their aggregate value was at par with twice their numbers in cavalry. Each ranch had one large ranch house and numerous line houses scattered along the boundaries. These latter, while intended as camps for the outriders, had been erected in the days, none too remote, when Apaches, Arapahoes, and even Cheyenne raided southward, and they had been constructed with the idea of defense paramount. Upon more than one occasion, a solitary line rider had retreated within their adobe walls, and had successfully resisted all the cunning and ferocity of a score of paint-bedaubed warriors, and, when his outfit had rescued him, emerged none the worse for his ordeal. On the bar twenty, Buck placed these houses in condition to withstand siege. Twin barrels of water stood in opposite corners, provisions were stored on the hanging shelves, and the bunks once again reveled in untidiness. Spare rifles, in pattern ranging from long-range sharps and buffalo guns to repeating rifles, leaned against the walls, and unbroken boxes of cartridges were piled above the bunks. Instead of the lonesome outrider, he placed four men to each house, two of whom were to remain at home and hold the house while their companions rode side by side on their multi-mile beat. There were six of these houses, and, instead of returning each night to the same line house, the outriders kept on and made the circuit, thus keeping everyone well informed and breaking the monotony. These measures were expected to cause the rustling operations to cease at once, but the effect was to shift the losses to the double arrow, the line houses of which boasted only one puncher each. Unreasonable economy usually defeats its object. The double arrow was restricted on the north by the staked plain, which in itself was considered a superb defense. The white sand hills formed its eastern boundary, and were thought to be second only to the northern protection. The only reason that could be given for the hitherto comparative immunity from the attacks of the rustlers was that its cattle clung to the southern confines, where there were numerous springs, thus making imperative the crossing of its territory to gain the herds. It was in Linehouse Number 3, most remote of all, that Johnny Redmond fought his last fight, and was found face down in the half-ruined house, with a hole in the back of his head which proved that one man was incapable of watching all the loopholes in four walls at once. There must have been some casualties on the other side, for Johnny was reputed to be very painstaking in his gun play, and the empty shells which lay scattered on the floor did not stand for as many ciphers. Of that his foreman was positive. He was buried on the day he was found, and the news of his death ran quickly from ranch to ranch and made more than one careless puncher arise and pace the floor in anger. More men came to the double arrow, and its sentries were doubled. The depredations continued, however, and one night a week later, Frank Swift reeled into the ranch house and fell exhausted across the supper table. Rolling hoofbeats echoed flatly and died away on the plain, but the men who pursued them returned empty-handed. The wounds of the unfortunate were roughly dressed, and in his delirium he recounted the fight. 
his companion was found literally shot to pieces twenty paces from the door. One wall was found blown in, and this episode, when coupled with the use of dynamite, was more than could be tolerated. When Buck had been informed of this, he called to him Hopalong Cassidy, Red Connors, and Frenchy McAllister, and the next day the three men rode north, and the contingents of the ranches represented in the association were divided into two squads, one of which was to remain at home and guard the ranches, the other to sleep fully dressed and armed, and never to stray far from their ranch houses and horses. These latter would be called upon to ride swiftly and far when the word came. End of chapter 16